morning. Welcome to Long Hill Chapel. My name is Joey Monteleone. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're very excited that you're with us here this morning. Uh, last week, we started a two-week series called Settle, uh, looking at Numbers chapter 9 and how God's presence in the Old Testament was symbolized by a cloud in the daytime, and at nighttime, it was symbolized by a pillar of fire. And when that cloud moved, the children of Israel would follow that cloud wherever it would lead them. But the cloud wouldn't just lift and move. Sometimes it would stay put. And that's what we're going to consider today as we close out the Settle series, When the Cloud Descends. Now, a few weeks ago, I was in Europe on a business trip. I do videography for a software company, and we had some clients that we went to go and visit and film them saying nice things about our firm. And so I got to go to London, Vienna, and Amsterdam. And I got to see some amazing things like Buckingham Palace, Westminster Abbey. I was at the Cheshire Cheese, which is the oldest pub in England. Uh, I saw Big Ben and the Tower of London. Over in uh, Vienna, I saw the Belvedere and St. Stephen's Cathedral. I had one of the best veal cutlets I've ever had in my life. Uh, in Amsterdam, I got to see Anne Frank's house. It was a phenomenal experience. I stayed in four different hotels in four days. I had five flights in five days. It was very busy. But you know what my favorite part of the whole trip was? Landing in Newark. I loved landing in Newark. One of the best things I've learned about myself, particularly through COVID, is as extroverted as I can be at times, I'm an introvert. I need my place, my people, my New Jersey. I never thought I'd say that, but I need my New Jersey. I need times of silence and solitude to recharge. And traveling is cool, but you know what? Coming home is a feeling like no other. Having a home, a place where you can be to develop, to grow, is important. And there are things for me to do here, like cut the grass and fix the house. There are people that depend on me, like my kids and my wife. There's a purpose for me being here. And today we're going to be looking at the second half of the verse that we started looking at last week, verse 17, about what settling looks like from a spiritual perspective. Last week, the cloud lifted and it moved. Well, this week, the cloud's going to do something different. And before we dive into that, let's open in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for being a God who loves his people. We could just hang on that theme for the rest of our lives and just say thank you for your love. As we dive into your passage of scripture here that is thousands of years old, we know it has the power to transcend time. And we just ask that we would look more and more like Jesus, that we would have soft hearts, and that we would hear what you're saying to us this morning. In Jesus' victorious name. And God's people said, amen. Again, if you have your Bibles, open up to Numbers chapter 9, or you can follow along on the screen. We're going to be reading, for context, again, verses 15 through 23. Numbers chapter 9, 15 through 23. It says this, On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at evening it was over the tabernacle, like the appearance of fire, until morning. So it was always... The cloud covered it by day, and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from the tent, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out. And at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. 
Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, according to the command of the Lord. They remained in camp. Then, according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped. And at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. And so last week, we defined, or, or rather redefined, what we mean when we say settle. A lot of times when we hear that word settle, we think, well, I'm getting something that I didn't ask for, but I don't want to leave empty-handed, so I'll just deal with what I have. That's not what we mean when we say settle. When we say settle, we mean to agree. We're saying God has the ultimate authority, God has the ultimate wisdom and position in my life, and therefore I agree with his movement, his guidance, his authority. And last week, God's presence was moving. And so when we said settle, it was to settle on where he was moving us. We're saying, you have control in my life, so when you go, I'm going to follow. But this week, the cloud isn't moving anymore. Look at verse 17 one more time. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that, the people of Israel set out, and in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. And so in the place where the clouds stopped, that's where the people stopped. The Israelites would settle. And it wasn't like me at the airport where I'm waiting between an Uber and a train and my backpack's just down for two minutes. No, this was, look at verse 22. It says, it, whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. And so this is an, this is an intentional establishment in location. Sometimes it would be there for a little bit. Sometimes it would be there for a longer period of time. In this scenario, when the children of Israel are settling down, they're still agreeing with God, but now they're agreeing that his location has stopped. They agree that this is the place to stay. This is the place to stop. This is the place to set up shop. And so what does that look like for us? Well, it's building on the idea that we had last week, that to settle in a spiritual sense is to agree with God when he moves, but it is also to agree with God when he doesn't move. First, we have to agree that he has ultimate authority, and when he leads, we follow. But when he stops, we also stop. Now, what does that mean, that God doesn't move? Does that mean that he's lazy and he's stagnant? No. What it means when God isn't moving, when the cloud has descended, is that there is a purpose in the position. There is a purpose in the position. There's a reason that God has stopped. There's a reason for being in that position. And you know what? If God has a purpose, then so do we. And this has been one of the most challenging but also fulfilling things about my life, is the realization that things aren't necessarily happening to me, they're happening for me. Things aren't happening to you as much as they're happening for you. And so, so often, at least in my life, maybe you can relate to this, when God stops moving, when God has me in a position, the first thing I say is, God, why are you doing this to me? When what I should be doing is saying, God, what do you have for me? What have you prepared for me? What's the reason that your presence has stopped in this place? Why am I still at this job? 
Why do I feel stuck? Why am I still single? Why can't I sell the house? Simple. The cloud stopped. And that's not to over-spiritualize that. Like, sometimes there are legit reasons why things aren't working out the way that we expect them to. But I think if we changed our perspective, if we changed how we view things, and we see that God's placement in our lives is purposeful, it might change how we see the events and the activities in our lives. Because recognizing God's purpose in our life is often about having an awareness of his presence so that we can bring God into those spaces. It's to recognize people. It's to recognize places. It's to recognize opportunities that God has uniquely set for you. Because think about it. If there wasn't a reason for you to be here, this is just, this is just Joey's brain going for a second. Bear with me. In my mind, if there wasn't a reason for me to be here, once I step into a relationship with Jesus, I should just be with him. I should just go to heaven. That's how my brain thinks. But that's not what God does. God says, actually, I'm going to partner with you, and I'm going to allow you to bring me into the spaces where you are. That's what God wants us to do. And so again, there is a purpose in our position. I'll give you an example. On the way home from Europe, uh, I had a trip from Amsterdam to London and then a connecting flight from London to New Jersey. That's how I was going to get home. It was my entire day. I was going to be traveling all day. And it was a little tight to get from one terminal to the other. And my flight from, New from London to Newark was at 1 p.m. And guys, I missed it by two minutes. I missed the baggage check by two minutes. Two minutes. I begged, I pleaded, I almost <laughs> cried. It's like, I just want to go home. After the week that I just had, I just want to go home. And there was nothing they could do about it. Fortunately, there was a four o'clock flight, so I wasn't stranded another day. It was just two hours. But guys, I was angry. I am exhausted. I want to see my kids. It's already going to be an eight-hour flight. I just want to go home. And then I realized that God had settled. God put me on the four o'clock flight. And I didn't know why, so I'm sitting there for two hours, ironically working on this message, and I realized that God had settled. And I said, okay, God, there is a reason that I'm on the four o'clock flight. I don't know why, but I'm on the four o'clock flight. You know why Joey had to be on the four o'clock flight? Because Ginny was going to sit next to me, and Ginny needed to hear about Jesus. Now, I don't know if anything is ever going to happen with Ginny and Jesus, but I realized God had settled. And when I realized that I was uniquely positioned to sit in that seat, it changed my perspective. So when we first settle with God, we agree that he has ultimate authority. We agree that what he says, we do. And when he moves, we follow. But if he doesn't move and he sits us somewhere, if we're positioned in a place, it's for a reason. And our job is to become aware of that reason. We settle on his authority, we settle on his movement, but then we settle on his placement. Now, in theory, this is really easy to do, mentally. I think all of us in this room would very quickly say, oh yeah, God's going to stick me there? No problem. I got it. But practically, this is challenging, because at least for me, most of the times in my life, I have not liked where God has placed me. I have not enjoyed the places that he has put me. I have not easily settled down. I'll share with you that it took a long time for me to settle here at Long Hill. 
about what God was doing here. I love this place, disclaimer, I love you. I love the journey that we're on. I love what God is doing in this place. But it took a long time for me to settle. And I'm not talking about taking the job. Taking the job was easy. That first year, I wasn't sure. I was not 100% on board with what God was doing. And maybe you're in a similar place where you recognize that God has moved you, God has put you with certain people, certain positions, certain placement, but you're not 100% on board and you don't get it. You're hesitant and you don't understand why God has you here. Maybe even God made a mistake. I am one of the pastors that's gonna tell you it's okay to feel that way. The other pastors will tell you that too, but I'll, I'm up here right now. So it's okay to feel that way. And it's not because I say so. It's because there's, a, there's an entire book built on precedent of people who are not 100% on board with what God is doing. Abraham, Moses, Jeremiah, Daniel, Jonah, Esther, Peter. The, the list goes on of people who aren't 100% on what God is doing in the moment. So how did those people overcome it? Well, they obeyed anyway. Let's look at verses 22 and 23 one more time. It says, Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. The children of Israel did not have to understand to obey, and neither do we. But we think that one comes before the other. If I understand, then I can obey. It's actually the other way around. When you don't understand, obey. When you don't understand, obey. When you can't necessarily settle, when you can't agree with God on what he's doing, and you have no idea what he's doing, choose obedience anyway. When you don't understand the places, the people, the positions, the opportunities, when you don't get it, choose to follow him anyway. Because we are invited to obey even if we don't comprehend it. And I hate to burst the bubble that I just made, but I'm gonna. Sometimes you might not understand even if you do obey. But when God places us in situations where answers don't make sense, we often think, well, I need to pray about it so that God reveals what I'm supposed to do, and then I'll do it. Do you know what that is? That's control. Popping up again in all the sneaky ways. That says that if I can grasp it, then I'll do it. And that's not faith. That's sight. 2 Corinthians 5-7 tells us that. We walk by faith, not by sight. God doesn't require us to understand for us to obey. On one of the flights, I was reading Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky. If you like that book, I invite you to come up. We have prayer after. It's a heart-wrenching book. It's really, really tough. Um, but there are two characters in it. Uh, they're brothers. One is Alyosha. He's an Orthodox monk. He's the Christ-like figure in the book. And then there's his brother, Ivan, who's an atheist. And Ivan says this, I cannot believe in a God who allows suffering. I will not worship a God who allows people to hurt. And what he means is, I don't understand it, therefore I reject it. But Alyosha says this, I believe God is good, and I don't need to understand why people suffer, which is why I'm willing to enter into people's suffering. 
What Alyosha is saying is that you don't understand, therefore you don't engage. I believe that God is good, so I don't need to understand to engage. And church, if we believe that God is good, if we believe that he's sovereign, that he has our best in mind, that he has great things in store to us, if we've settled in that regard, the belief of that surpasses everything else. It surpasses my fears. It surpasses my doubts. It even surpasses my understanding. And since it surpasses all those things, I can go now where he sends me, whether I get it or not, because I know he's good. Because I've experienced his love. I've experienced his protection. I've experienced his provision. I've experienced his goodness. Therefore, I choose to obey. The commitment to God's goodness in our life allows us to enter into the mystery of his working, even if we don't get it. And so this leads to the question, why? Why should I obey even if I don't understand? That sounds foolish. That doesn't make sense, right? Well, yeah. That's what faith is. Back to 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Again, we walk by faith, not by sight. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament is saying that He's not talking about taking a stroll when he says walk. What he means is the way that we function is faith-filled. It's not built on our understanding. It's not built on our comprehension. And a lot of Christians, at least in my experience, have enough faith to save them from hell, but not enough faith to walk in a way that they don't understand. I'm not saying go out and be reckless. What I am saying is that our understanding should not be the limit of what God wants to do in our lives. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 1.25, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. In this chapter, Paul is talking about the wisdom of the world in comparison to the cross. And he's saying a relationship with God isn't built on making sense necessarily. It's not about wisdom the way that we understand it. And when we try to combine the two, when we try to take God's ways and our understanding, my opinion, we always get frustrated and disillusioned because they don't match. I can't tell you how many friends I have that have walked away from Jesus, walked away from God and faith because they couldn't understand what God was doing. I'm sure you have similar stories of family members and friends. Back to that line from Dostoevsky, I can't believe in a God that allows people to suffer. That's a big struggle for a lot of people. How many times have you heard that this week? That book is 143 years old. And we've been dealing with that issue of suffering and struggle in the world and God for as long as we've been around. If you're asking me personally, I don't understand suffering in this world. I don't understand God's ways and what he chooses to do. And you know what? I don't have to. All I know is, all I need to know is this. Has God done something about it? Does God care? And in the person of Jesus, in the cross, I see a definitive yes. God does care about suffering. He fully understands it. And he entered into the human experience so that the the narrative of humanity would have a different ending. Amen? But we still have to answer the question, why? Why should we obey? Because just saying, well, God's ways are different from ours, that's not good enough. Why should we obey? Well, because we never know what he's going to do with that obedience. 
I hesitated to share with my company that I work for that I'm a pastor. Not necessarily because I don't like talking about Jesus. I love talking about Jesus. But I recognize the terrain that I work in is, is very progressive, and I didn't want an added layer, an added stigma, if religion ever came up with my coworkers. So I held on to it for a little while. But right around COVID time, 2020, I felt a, a definitive, yes, you're supposed to share that you're a pastor, but I felt like God was saying, you're supposed to do it at the right time. You're not just supposed to walk in on Monday morning and say, hey guys, guess what? It was supposed to be specific. And so one day I'm speaking with HR, and we're talking about people's struggles. We're talking about how difficult this time that we find ourselves is in. And I felt the Holy Spirit tap me on the shoulder and said, now's the time. And so I stepped into it and I said, yeah, you know, as a pastor, I think it's really important that people have something to connect to beyond themselves in times of pain and struggle. And that led to a two-hour conversation with HR. I didn't really get anything done that day. But we had a two-hour conversation where at the end of it, she asked me, would you be willing to start an interfaith prayer meeting for our 6,000-person company? Not necessarily to push Christianity, but to open the door for people to process what they're going through and to close in prayer. And so every time we do it, I get to close in Jesus' name. I'm bringing, you know, like we just sang, I'm speaking Jesus into these people's lives, whether they know it or not. Now, I've, through this, I've met other Christians. I've met people who are struggling and searching, and I've met people who want nothing to do with God, but recognize that there's something about this group. Would that have happened if I didn't obey? No. Definitively no. I can say that with certainty, every time I haven't understood why God has placed me in a circumstance and I've obeyed anyway, I've been blown away by what he does with the obedience. And we never know what that obedience is going to produce. We don't know what it's going to render. Moses' obedience in the Old Testament delivered people from slavery. David's obedience leads to Goliath's defeat. Jonah's obedience leads to Nineveh's being spared. Jesus' obedience leads to salvation for humanity. Your obedience might not lead to people being delivered necessarily, but it might deliver us from control. It might deliver us from needing to be in charge of our lives. What if your obedience was much like the children of Israel in Numbers 9, where the only thing you got out of obeying God is his presence? Is that enough? Is that good enough? I want it to be good enough for me. And so to sum up what settling is, to settle in a spiritual sense is to agree with God when he moves. It is also to agree with God when he doesn't move, choosing to obey even if we don't understand. To settle in a spiritual sense is to agree with God when he moves. It is also to agree with God when he doesn't move, choosing to obey even if we don't understand. And as followers of Jesus, if we're living settled lives, agreeing that God has ultimate authority, following where he leads, and recognizing the positions that he puts us in, there's always going to be fruit from that. Even if we don't fully understand, we choose to obey anyway because we don't know what he's going to do with that obedience. That's the call of faith. And so how do we put this into practice? What is the first step in living this settled way? Well, last week we had a simple prayer, which was, Lord, teach me to settle. This week it's a similar prayer. Lord, tune my heart. One of my favorite hymns that we're actually going to close with as the band comes up is, Come Thou Fount. 
And it's got this phrase in it, tune my heart. You know, as a guitar player, that always struck a chord with me. See what I did? My wife told me not to put that in there. It's always meant something significant because on, on my instrument, the guitar, there's six different strings. And every time I approach that instrument, I have to tune it because the environment, the elements, the usage all plays into whether or not those strings are in tune with each other. Every time I approach it, I have to tune it. I need to tighten or loosen the strings so that they are in line and aligned with the song. And in the same way, our hearts do not naturally align with God. We've been struggling with this since Genesis 3. We do not naturally want to do what God wants us to do. This is a process. This is like we talked about last week. This is sanctification. This is the practice of becoming more and more like Jesus, whether we get it or not. And so, Lord, tune my heart through prayer. Tune my heart through reading scripture. Tune my heart through community groups. Tune my heart through worship. Tune my heart through guidance and accountability. Tune my heart. That's why it says this in verse 18. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. You see, the people were in tune with God's leading. They were in tune with his stopping. And so whether it lifted or whether it descended, they were familiar with the actions of the cloud. And they trained themselves to follow that movement, whether it was going or whether it was purposely positioned. And we likewise need to be a people, a community of faith that have surrendered our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ to follow where he brings us and to bring him into the areas that he places us. Amen? Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you are doing in the lives of the people here. I just ask for everyone in this room, everyone watching online, the kids downstairs, and the communities that we find ourselves in, Lord, would you tune our heart? Would you train us to see you and to see ourselves, our location, our position as purposeful for the glory of God? We pray these things in your name, amen.